have a Bible today, let's open up to Luke chapter 2. As today I'd like to share with you a study I've entitled A Real Life Nativity. Uh, how, how many of you here, I'm just curious, have nativity sets at home? Uh, and I, I know a lot of us do. Some of us even have multiple sets. And I've realized over the years that some of those sets can be pretty expensive, huh? I, I read about one nativity set available uh, at a website that was on sale for $36,000, man. And uh, it's, I guess, $6,000 off its normal price right now. 58 inches tall, 7 feet wide, and uh, 4 feet deep. And when I was thinking about that, it was kind of like, wow, almost life-size. Very fascinating when you think of real-life nativity. Uh, Another uh, thing, how many of you here have ever gone to one of those real-life nativities where there are actual people? Or everyone's real. Have you guys ever gone to one of those? I mean, I mean, it's not plastic. It's not porcelain. It's actual people. Even the baby Jesus is real. And so I was doing some research on this, and I thought, you know what? We should do that next year, huh? Don't you think? And so I want to encourage some of you young married couples to get to work, and uh, <laughs> and let's see if we can work this out uh, next year. You know, I was blessed by one pastor. Actually, they interviewed him in the news. And I said, why do you do like a real life a nativity thing? And I was kind of expecting him to say maybe some pat answer, but it was just so cool. He just went, he just went for it. He said, the reason we do like real life nativities is because we want people to have real life. I mean, this is what it's all about, you guys. I mean, if you're here as a Christian, to have that real life, the love the peace, the joy, the victory that God wants to give you. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, man, what's holding you back, man? We're talking about a God who loves you. We're talking about the God who made everything. He spoke it all into existence by the power of his word. He came here to us. He was born that you might be born again. He wants to give you real life, the Bible says in John 10, 10, and that more abundantly and so you know the first nativity the original nativity scene is seen here in the bible and we're going to see today what a difference this little bitty baby born in a barn makes because that gift that was given ultimately was god none other than the one to give us grace and that's why we have christmas that's why we do all that we do we bake the cookies we put together the tamales we put up lights and we go shopping. We spend $465 billion. I mean, all this stuff that we're doing, you know, the wonderful things that I'm seeing. I've been able to witness here in this church, people giving, uh, you know, toys to single moms who don't, they're, they're working. They have a very limited income or, or food baskets. I mean, it's a beautiful time of year. And what we find is that life, that real life, is all a celebration and a reflection of what Jesus Christ has done. And again, my prayer, our prayer as a church, is that there's anyone here who has not yet established that genuine relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, that today would be that day. As one person said, Christmas began in the heart of God, and it is complete only when it reaches the heart of man. And so we need to get a good grip of what it is. And the first thing we see in Luke chapter 2 
is we see um, the humanity of Jesus. Now, again, we talked about this a little bit on Thursday, but, you know, the Gospels, they all present Jesus a little different in one sense. Matthew presents him as king. Mark presents him as slave. John presents him as God. And Luke presents him as man. And we're going to see that. We see that especially clear in Luke 2. Notice what we read in verses 1 through 5. It says, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. And so all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And and as we move our way towards the birth of Christ, you're going to see the humility. You're going to see that humanity, the human life emphasized. You know, one of the things that we see here is that this is not, you know, some type of fictional thing. This is very historical. No offense, but Christmas is not about Santa Claus or flying reindeer. You got to understand, and this is so important, that it's not in any way fictional. It is completely historical. You know, and Luke mentions some historical figures here. Two rulers of the day, Caesar Augustus, the emperor of Rome. Uh, I think we have a graphic uh, sculpture of him. Historians tell us that he was one of the most successful emperors, born in 63 BC. He reigned as emperor for 45 years until his death in AD 14. And so, you know, we're going to see Luke is a guy who does his homework, man. Later on in Luke chapter 3, verse 1, he mentions the next emperor who is Tiberius. But, but what we've got to see right here as we're reading these names is that this Christmas story is not a figment of the imagination. It wasn't made up by men. This is political. This is historical. And Luke mentions the emperor. He then mentions Quirinius of Syria. And this gentleman was born in 51 BC. He lived to eighty twenty-one. And historical evidence shows that he rose through the ranks of government as a soldier, then aristocrat, and eventually a politician, a governor there in Syria. And so all that to say this, and Luke, I believe, is doing this uh, with intention, that it's not fictional It is historical. As a matter of fact, there were times when historians didn't know about this census, but about about, uh, um, 1943, uh, papyrus began to get discovered. And then um, other archaeological evidence, um, some of the inscriptions were then uh, undug. And the evidence is now that Augustus did issue the decree of which Luke speaks. And it was a new epic-making measure that inaugurated a periodic enrollment in the empire, which continued for over two centuries every 14 years. And so sometimes you'll find that science will doubt the Bible or archaeological you know, evidence will then uh, confirm it. And all that I- I'm trying to say, you guys, is that this is, this is real stuff. Luke, who wrote the gospel, he did his homework. He mentions the rulers of the day. 
He also mentions the rule of the day that went out for all the world to be registered. And this, of course, you guys probably know, ultimately was for the purpose of taxation for all nations. And so, again, not fictional, completely historical. The rulers were real. The taxes uh, were true. And you might look at that and think, well, this is not a, a good thing. I mean, who here likes taxes, right? Who here wants to be forced to travel unexpectedly? But at the same time, simultaneously, we see that in this historical account, that history is his story, you guys. That, that, that yes, you know, God's rulers are, are here and they rule in one sense, but God overrules, right? And for Caesar and Quirinius, it was a matter of taxation, but for God, it was a matter of salvation. And what we find, you guys, is not fictional, it's historical, it's real, it's real life that God loves you and God wants to save you and God wants to, you know, wash away your sins, man. You, know, you might be here, you might be struggling, you might be thinking, well, God doesn't love me and I'm messed up and I'm all messed up. Listen, man, that's, those are the ones that God specializes in and we're going to see that in the Bible. Because I know some of you guys and you were really messed up before you were Christians and you're kind of still messed up, man. But no, we, we, know, we know what the Bible teaches, that, that God loves us, that God has saved us, that God has washed away my sins, that when he looks at me, he sees no sin. Because in a positional standing, I am made justified and right in his sight. And so for them, it's taxation for God it's salvation. We read there in verse 4 that Joseph goes up from Galilee out of Nazareth and into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of, of David. You know, Now, this is interesting. There's a, there's a few things here that are, are pretty different. You've got to understand the Jewish uh, background to this, right? I mean, you might wonder why did he have to go to Bethlehem for the purpose of taxation. And it was a very, a very, very Jewish thing. Uh, Lenski, uh, the Greek scholar, he said this, the Jews followed their own system of enrollment, each person's name, standing, property, and all those things being entered in the family record that was kept at the place which was considered the family seat. And so for us today, when it comes to taxation, the government would say, where do you live? But for the Jews, not for the entire Roman Empire, but for the Jews, the question would be, where are you from? Because the Jews kept careful record of their lineage. And so for them, when it came to taxation, they had to go to their origination. The Romans base your taxes on where you live. That's how we do it, but not the Jews. And so for them, it was a great inconvenience. But again, you guys, isn't it cool how we see it's all part of God's providence? You know, and there's a, a lesson here woven in that I pray you wouldn't miss, you guys, because I, I know we go through life and, and man, times are, are tough. But even though, you know, you know, we're doing our thing, God is working everything out 
for good and the devil's fighting, the enemies don't hate us and your Facebook friends don't like you anymore. They're just scrolling on by. They don't say hi or anything, you know. And life gets hard. But you want to know something, man? Christmas is about the joy for that journey. You know, it's kind of like our kids. You guys remember when your kids were small and you used to throw them up in the air? How many of you were crazy enough to do that? A couple of you here, you dropped your kids, right? And so... You know, but what happens to your kids when you throw them up in the air? What do they do? They got a big smile on their face and they're laughing. How could they do that? Well, everything's up in the air and they're falling. How can your child laugh with joy when you're doing such a thing to them? And the answer is because they trust you. They know their father will catch them. And that's what God is doing. That's what we see in this whole Christmas story, man, is that there is joy for us because of Jesus. Even in the midst of all the things, and I know in my life, man, there are things I don't understand. There are things that are up in the air. There are uh, certain aspects of, in one sense, where the whole world is falling. But man, I know, I know that God is going to catch me because he's my father, because he loves me. And so, you know, you got all these things going and the taxation and travel and, you know, all that stuff. And you're thinking it's all bad. But listen, Romans 8.28 says it's all good because God works everything together for good to those who love him and are the called according to his purpose, you know. And so, you know, Joseph takes Mary. And, and notice again what we read in verse 5. It says, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. Now, it's interesting, in the Greek language, it probably shouldn't read that. It probably should say, because she was with child. Now, that's a fascinating twist when you look at it in the original language. Because most of us here, if your wife is pregnant and she's ready to give birth... You're not going to take her on, you know, no 70-mile journey on, you know, a camel. You're not going to fly her to Cambodia. No, she's pregnant. She better stay home, right? But Joseph here, he takes her, the Bible says in the, in the original language, because she was pregnant. And here's the thing that, that we believe, that the reason Joseph didn't leave her there is because if she would have given birth to her child in Nazareth, she would have been the object of slander. Because what, what happens, and we know even today it's tough to give birth to a child out of wedlock, people talk. Because it's out of wedlock, right? But, but even back then, you, know, you multiply that a million times over. And so it's kind of interesting when you look at this whole story, you guys. You've got to read the Bible with all your heart. You've got to look at it deeper. You have to study it. You have to dig. You have to mine. And what you find is that when Mary and Joseph actually gave birth to their, to their son, that it doesn't look like mom or, or dad or, or uncle, you know, Fred or, or, you know, cousin, you know, Tina or anyone was there. What you find is that this, this teenage couple, man, in many ways, they were all alone. And so it's a real interesting thing. When you read this story, you don't read about friends and family and nativity. Just uh, two, you know, young adults, animals, eventually 
visiting shepherds that came that first Christmas night. And and so we read in verse 6, it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And so Luke, he paints a picture of the birth of Jesus. And when you look at it, it's very, very human. We, we see the human life of Christ. The day comes, the baby comes, their firstborn son. He's wrapped in strips of cloth. That would be common in those days. You know, kind of reminds me of my mother-in-law. When we had our children, she would wrap them so tight like a burrito. It was kind of like that, right? You know, so that's common. But it was not common for the baby to be laid in, in a manger or in a, in a feeding trough for horses or cattle or animals to eat from. And, and Luke gives us the explanation. The reason he was laid in that feeding trough is because there was no room for them in the inn. And, you know, again, that's kind of funny. You would figure that since this is the one who would bring salvation to the world. Don't you figure that if he's bringing salvation, at least there would be some reservations for him in one of the inns right there? I mean, you would figure that from this point forward, you know, this would establish a global holiday. Don't you think there would be at least a room in the holiday inn, you know, for something like that? But no. You know, when you look at the story and the nitty-gritty of what it is, man, God, the maker of the universe, the one who poured the, the waters with his crystal chalices and formed the mountains and breathed life into man, the one who spoke the universe into existence by the power of his word, the one who filled the universe with his immensity and was present everywhere in his fullness at all time. He came and he was conceived in the womb of Mary, became the size of a period. He grew. And when he was eventually born, he was born in a barn because there was no room for him in the end. And you guys, what's the Lord trying to say? What's he trying to communicate to us? And I, and I just pray that we wouldn't miss that, that he just loves us, man. He loves us. Some of you guys, you know, you got it all together and you're so godly. And others of you, you know, you're struggling through life. You know, I, I've, even as Christians, you know, I, I've noticed, man, we, we go through our ups and downs. We have our seasons, you know, and sometimes they're, they're better than others. And, and, and yet, you know, we have our ways. Well, I love that one better and not that one as much. God's not like that. God loves everyone the same. You know, you might be here, and I know you're struggling. I know you are. I know you're struggling with drugs. I know you're struggling in your marriage. I know you're struggling with, with drinking. I know you're struggling with sex or porn or, or just your anger. You know, we, we all deal with things. We're struggling with relationships. You know, we're struggling, you know, with anxiety. We have this battle, you know, because we live in a fallen world. Listen, man, it doesn't matter who you are. Look at where God is willing to go. I mean, you're sleeping on the gutter. He'll lie down there with you. He'll meet you anywhere. He loves you. Let him into your life. Let him heal you. Let him cleanse you. Let God strengthen you. 
Let Him lead you. Let Him love you. Just let God come in because that's the God that He is. He, he doesn't come, and we're going to see it even later with the shepherds. He doesn't necessarily come to those who are the religious and self-righteous. No, He comes to those who are, are full-on, messed-up sinners. Any of you guys here? Any of that? Just out of curiosity? Come on, I know you. Come on. Get up here in the front, man. You guys... <laughs> You know, a, a lot of you here, we can tell the testimony of how messed up you were. And I've heard your stories and it just blesses my heart. You know, it's kind of funny when you get someone who doesn't maybe attend the church and they come to me and then the side and, you know, maybe they're one of your, you know, extended family members or friends and they'll come up to me and they say, Manny, do you know the way they used to be? I mean, they were like complete. I can't believe it. It's a miracle. And I'm like, yeah, that's what God does. You know, um, when you look at this right here, doesn't have a place, no reservation, no holiday inn, simple, humble, quiet. To be honest with you, this birth is almost embarrassing. I mean, it, it's almost, I mean, at, at least it seems to me, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want my son or daughter to be born in a barn. I mean, isn't it? Shouldn't it be more sanitary? I mean, you wouldn't want the, the smells. You wouldn't want those things that you might step on. Right? And yet that's where God was born. He was born in a cave, not a castle. He was born in, in a stable. He was born in some type of barn somewhere where animals slobbered. So, so you look at his birth and you wonder, well, then... Why is it that 2,000 years later, the whole world celebrates that night when he was born? So simple, so humble, so borderline dismal. Why? Well, it's because once you establish the humanity of Jesus, once you establish the humility of Jesus, it's then that you can now go to the glory of Jesus. We can now touch on the divinity of Jesus. And that's what Luke does in verse 8. It says, And now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And, and behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Notice that, to all people. That's you. I mean, if there's just God can come into your life today. God can change you. God can forgive you. God can strengthen you. I mean, he was born, it says, for all people. And behold, this angel right here, again, verse 9, stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And the angel said, Do not be afraid, for behold, I, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people, for there is born, this is interesting, to you. I mean, when do we hear that? Usually, you know, well, they had a baby. 
well, in this case, is born to you this day. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And what you find, if you're taking notes, is the human life, but then you also see the divine life. You have to have both, 100% man and 100% God. You see uh, Jesus' humility just so beautiful. Then, and, then, and then you see his glory. And so just in order to give you that understanding, the, the Almighty God sends an angel and he appears in the outfield and they appear to shepherds who are living. Notice, interesting, they're living out in the fields and they're keeping watch over their own flock. Uh, those of you who have gone to Israel, you've seen those shepherds and if you ever get a chance to go up to them, they usually don't smell too good. You know, in the Jewish mentality, the shepherd was unclean. The shepherd was not allowed to go to the temple and offer sacrifices and enter into that type of, you know, relationship with God. They were considered to be ostracized. But notice now, God singles them out and appears to them. I mean, you would figure that God would go to the, the priest. God would go to someone in Jerusalem, the one with the robe. And, but he doesn't. He goes to those that were least esteemed in society. You know, and you look at some of these pastors nowadays and you might think, well, they're, they're, they're you know, whatever, honored, esteemed, used. Listen, they weren't always like that. I mean, you talk to a lot of these guys that God in his grace is using. And they're losers. They're nobody. They didn't have a future. But God sent his messengers to them. And he appears there in, in the field to these homeless guys, right? In one sense. And, and he tells them, and it's interesting, when he appears to them, it says the angel stood before them. But look at verse 9, not, not just the angel. The, behold, the angel, angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Can you imagine what that experience must have been like? I mean, I don't know if there was a light. I'll bet you almost anything it was the presence of God. And they were experienced this. They, they see the angel. That in and of itself used to shake men in their boots. You read that in the Bible. But then when the glory of the Lord shines around them, you know, that's the presence of God. And so what happens to these shepherds is they're afraid. You know, they were greatly afraid. And in one sense, they should be. Listen, if you stand before God in your own righteousness, you should be greatly afraid. But once you stand before God in the righteousness of Christ, it's just so cool what the angel says. He says, you don't have to be afraid. Don't be afraid. Why? Because I have good news for you, good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people, for there's born to you, to you. And I can go through every single person in this room today, no matter who you are, and I can say to you, is born this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And that's what this whole holiday is all about. That's what the tamales are all about. The cookies. How many of you here uh, put up a tree this year? I'm just curious. Yeah, um... You know, the lights, beautiful, you know. You spend time, I, I love what the video, the kids are talking about, 
you know, friends and family and, you know, just all the traditions that we have when it comes to Christmas, the whole world is shaking and moving and hustling and bustling. And, you know, what is it, you know, that would make billions of people radically change their work schedules and everything else? And the answer is because there was born to them that day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You know, times change when you get older, huh? You know, when I was older, I mean, when I was younger, <laughs> I, I have that disease where you get younger. <laughs> when, when I was younger, it was about the presence under the tree, and then eventually you grow up and it becomes uh, about the presence of God. You know, when I was uh, younger, I used to think that a nap was a punishment. Now I see it as a mini vacation. <laughs> uh, actually, I don't take that many, but maybe a couple a day. But it's just so cool how things change. You know, when I was Catholic, it was about Mary in Christmas, M-A-R-Y. Now it's about Mary, M-E-R-R-Y, about the joy. And it's, it's hard to, to have joy when you're looking at yourself. It is. And it is hard to have joy when you're looking at your circumstances. Remember that, that saying, when you look at yourself, you're going to be depressed. When you look at the world, you're going to be de- distressed. But when you look to the Lord, it's then that you'll be blessed. And that's what I want to encourage you to do this Christmas season that you get your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who left his throne and he traded it in for a cross. You know, the Christmas tree, you may see it and it's, you know, green and all that. No, the real Christmas tree is when he died on a cross for us. And all your sins you ever did, past, present, future, were laid on him. And he suffered the punishment that we deserve. He paid the price so that all you have to do is believe and receive And when you do, instantly, in the moment of time, you are considered righteous in God's sight. And that's what this whole message is all about. You know, when you look at this right here, you see he's called the Savior, he's called the Christ, he's called the Lord, he saves us uh, from our sins, the power, presence, and penalty of sin. He's the anointed prophet, priest, and king. And so as a prophet, he's a messenger. As a priest, he's a mediator. And as the king, he's the master. You know, and, and, and he says right there, again, verse 11, there's born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And, that, and that's how you get saved. You know, let me share something with you. You know, when, when, you, when you come to the Lord and, and you want him to write your name in the book of life and you want to know for sure that when you die you go to heaven you know you can't play church you know you might be struggling with something all all god is asking you to do is just be willing to let it go you know we can't do this on our own strength i can't stop you know the sexual sins apart from the supernatural power of god i can't You know, some people don't like the whole concept of God being Lord. For whatever reason, they want to lead their own life. I'll tell you what, man. I thank God that I have Him to lead my life. That I have Him to tell me what to do. 
that I have him to say, Manny, you don't need to do drugs because drugs open doors to demons and they mess up your brain. I thank God that I have the Lord to lead my life. And so, you know, when we're talking about getting saved, we're talking about knowing that Jesus is the Savior because he died on the cross for your sins. He's the anointed prophet, priest, and king. You know, so listen to the message and let him be the mediator and let him be your master. When we're talking about the Lord, you know, I know you can't do it on your own strength. I already know that. But the question is, are you willing to let go of your sin, especially that sin of unbelief? Are you willing to have the faith of a child and say, Lord Jesus, I believe in you. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Because Christmas is not really Christmas until you come in to my heart. And if you do that, everything changes. You know, some people are like, well, Manny, I, I, I go to church. And I'm sure when I stand before God one day, I'll be able to tell him, Lord, I endured with this guy every Sunday, man, when he was talking. Don't I get any points for that? And then God's going to say, no. Listen, it's not about going to church, playing church, or having a religion. It really is about having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so I pray that, man, if you haven't already done that, that today it, it would be the simple transaction that takes place in your heart and that, you know, you would say, Father, I, I see the way you gave your son to me. I mean, in one sense, it's almost as if you gave your heart to me. And so, Lord, here, I'll do the same. I'll, I'll give you my heart. You know, one of the things that is kind of cool about this whole season is that Christmas is so close to Thanksgiving, huh? And so you're so grateful for Jesus. I think those two holidays need to be connected. But isn't it also cool how Christmas is so close for us to the new year? And when I think of new year, you know what I think? New beginnings. And some of you Christians here today, maybe it's time for a new beginning that God would come in, that God would start something new, and that you would be blessed. You know, as I was praying um, today, what to do at the close of the service, I thought, Lord, how about if we just gave everybody $100? What do you guys think? You're like, no, $1,000. I, I can't, I can't do that. I can't, I'm sorry. And you know what? I was also thinking, well, you know what else would be cool, Lord? If I can give them life. If I can give them life. Real life. But I can't. But you know what I can do? I can give you an opportunity. We can give you an opportunity today to say, hey, you, you, you made the effort. You came Christmas. We're not, we're not going to criticize you because you're... CEO Christian, Chris, you know, Christmas and Easter only. We're not going to say that. We're not going to go there. <laughs> we love you. No, we're not going to say that. Um, we're just going to say we're glad you're here. And we're just going to say that before you leave, 
It's up to you. If you want to, you can give your life to Christ. You can do that right here in your heart. And I pray that if you need to, because those, those of you who are struggling, you know you need him. How can we live life without him? You know who you are. Give him your heart.